0: welcome to the Living Lightly podcast, a Seeds Church podcast where we wrestle with what it means to live lightly in relation to God's creation. Hello and welcome to the Living Lightly podcast. Today we are so thrilled to have Terry Miro join us and I am joined once again by my co-host,
1: Ted Ensdick.
0: I'm Connie Heppner-Mueller. And Terry, so glad to have you. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I know that uh, sometimes you've been introduced as opera singer turned farmer. Maybe that would be a great place to start. Tell us about who you are and uh, yeah, a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure. Um, Terry Mural. I grew up in Saskatchewan. Um, and uh, lived in Saskatchewan until I finished high school and then moved to Winnipeg. went to Canadian Meninite Bible College for a couple of years, and, or for a couple of degrees actually, and uh, started in theology, ended in with a church music degree, and from there um, was encouraged to pursue um, concert and opera singing, which I did by going to uh, McGill University in... Montreal, got a master's of performance there, and from there got into a uh, opera studio, like an atelier program in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, and uh, began a professional singing career in Europe. There, met my wife, Monique, in that same program. Uh, we were both singing, in, mostly in Europe at that point and then I started singing a bit in Canada as well and we got married in the Netherlands and then shortly after we got married we moved uh, we we bought a uh, an old farm uh abandoned farm actually uh in New Brunswick my parents were living there at the time and um we bought that farm not as a farm, but really as a like a place to get away in the summer months from, of course, singing. All of our work was in cities, uh, and we were... I always knew I wasn't really a city person, but uh, Monique had born and grew up in a city. But um, on a vacation to Canada to meet my family at one point earlier, uh, she had really uh, been very taken with the openness uh, of of Canada and uh, the nature and uh, really loved the east coast where my parents were and so anyway we bought this abandoned farm sort of as a place to get away for the summers Um, we continued to sing and spend summers there for a number of years Uh, lots of traveling and and, but you know I was going to say slowly, but actually very quickly hmm. actually the first the first summer that we we were there already i could I could feel it i 've often described it as feeling um, <clears throat> like the land like that farm that the the ground beneath my feet just sort of started to pull on my feet and want to keep them there and I, over about a four year period i had a stronger and stronger sense of but i just need to be here and that <clears throat> that really um manifested itself in uh we were we were always independent artists as far as uh, we we didn't sign like a in europe it's called a fest contract where you're you sign with the one house and then you're always working for them it's like a it's almost like a like day. A yeah, it's like a day job, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, and we never did that. We were always independent, where we were signing, finding all of our own work and signing all of our own gig to gig, um, often signing one and a half, two years in advance, and so very quickly. But of course, the stuff in the summer. Usually, you would fill up your sort of September to April a year or two in advance but then some of those sort of more summer festival stuff where you could those would come a little bit more spontaneous but so I I know the first summer 2002 that we were on that place I had two months off that we were there and then by the second summer already I had taken the um Sign, not signed a contract so that i 'd have four months off by the third and fourth i was at I was at home for six months of the year and then and then farming really kind of took over um, growing food and raising livestock and really started to take took taking over and which coincided with us starting to have children and so then there was great reasons to stay home and then we both eventually over a couple of years made a transition to. Growing food for a living instead of traveling and singing.
0: That must have been such a huge transition, and and when you tell it like you just did, it sounds fairly matter of fact. Mm. Can you take take us deeper into the the emotional, theological, philosophical journey that that also was for you?
2: Mm yeah of course when you if you if you just kind of say the trajectory of it it's it seems maybe logical or maybe <laughs> illogical depending on uh, what you what you think of the idea um, where it came from along the way um, so working as a professional opera and concert singer you're the circles that you're involved in it's all there's almost always in the cities it's it, we were mostly in european centers um, the people who whose houses you end up at and things like that it's you, it's very connected to uh, there's patrons of the arts always right so governments are also great patrons of the arts but there's a lot of private money that 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 patronizes the arts and so these folks often, as part of, of the deal, they get, or they'll throw a party after a show, or they'll throw uh, you know, different kinds of things where they can entertain their friends. Generally, all very well off in their very beautiful homes, and and they can say that they have these opera singers there, and probably you'll sing a bit for them, and and it's all very lovely. Um, but in so doing, what you what you see is a part of society. I mean, growing up in a small town in Saskatchewan, that wasn't my wasn't certainly not my background.
0: You weren't frequenting cocktail parties. No, we didn't
2: have a lot of cocktail parties in Langham, Saskatchewan. Um, and so it's I mean, as a young twenty something, it's quite exciting and it's certainly interesting. And you see things that you're that are new. Um, but you also start to see how, even though society has trained us all very well to believe that that's what we should all be striving for, we should all be striving for that kind of wealth, that kind of, I'll say, power, um, what I couldn't help but notice over, over a number of years was sort of, uh, a, a deep sadness, um, and I would even say a a fair bit of confusion um, if you ever had any kind of opportunity to to have a more deep kind of conversation with people. Not to mention in, in terms of colleagues that we were working with, of course everybody's striving in that kind of a situation or in that kind of a business or that kind of... The arts world to everyone 's striving for recognition and for you know, all of those things, and with that also a bigger payday and also seeing how how much sadness i 'm going to use that word again how much sadness there was in the in that group of colleagues. Um, To the point where I'll, I'll, I'll say when our when our first child was born, our first child got dragged around the world for, for a fair bit for the first two years of her life. Um, of course, she didn't really realize it. But as we were doing that and we were still working, Monique and I worked on our f- on the first, it was in 2006 or seven. I can't remember. And it was the first time we'd ever worked on a show together. We'd always, you know, had lots of work. We both had lots of work, but we'd never been on the same show at the same time until that point. And uh, and mum was travelling with us uh, to take care of our daughter. And we were sitting Enoch during a coffee break or a lunch break in a opera house canteen. And there was a man who, who a colleague of ours in that production who we were having lunch with, and he was asking us if we had kids, and we were telling him. We asked him. Yeah, kids. And he, yeah, but his, he said his children were teen, teenagers at the time. And he, we were working, this was in Amsterdam at the National Opera there. And he was from Germany. And so uh, the weekend before he had gone home um, and to see his family. And he had found out that his teenage, his teenager had, had been telling people when they ask him, why is your father never around? The teenager would tell people that he was in jail. And this was for, this guy's name was Michael. And Michael had asked his son, "Like, why would you tell people I'm in jail? And his teenager told him, my entire life when people ask me that, I would always say that my dad's an opera singer. And they would say, That is amazing. And his child told him that nothing hurt him more than having, feeling the way he felt about his dad always being gone and people saying that it was amazing. And so he changed his story and he started telling people his dad was in jail because people would go, That's horrible. That must be very difficult for you. And then he got what he needed. Wow. I remember Monique and I that at the end of the day, you know we were sitting in our apartment and putting our kid to bed or whatever, and just kind of going like, "Are we going to do that?" Hmm. Is that, is that Is that what first off, is that what us being together is supposed to be like? Is that what us having a family is supposed to be like? Is that what our life is supposed to be like? Does this mean that much to us? I mean, of course, so like I said, this is 2006, I think. So we were long down the road of, boy, I'm not sure about this. But that was that was a kicker.
0: That was a, a moment of awakening.
2: That was a big moment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we've been,
1: I mean, the name of this podcast, mm. and it kind of has grown out of... Uh, well, we've needed to find a way to communicate and mm. to connect as a community because um, we're in a situation now where we can't have large groups of people together because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. But this idea of living lightly is something that we really wanted to explore as a community, especially during this Lenten time. And, um, and as, you telling, as you were telling your story, I mean, a very sacred story, um, there's a bit of a, a theme of heaviness, of, um, well, two kinds of heaviness. The one was you talked about the sadness that you were experiencing in the communities that you were involved in as you were an opera singer, but also you, um, I think, I don't know if you talked about that in this conversation here or it was before we were talking about how you were saying that you literally, there was almost like gravity was holding you down and wanting to keep you in, in that farming place. So um, let's talk a little bit about lightness, living lightly. Um, has that shift that you made from the one vocation to a more grounded vocation in the farm and in the land and stuff, has that kind of created some sense of lightness in you and as a family? Um, I'd just be curious to know how living lightly kind of fits into that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of, well, of course, a lot of things change. Um, there's there's a, a long and gradual transition away from that. Um, what I think we, in our society, are are very much sort of programmed into through school and through university and to to succeed and to do well and of course all of that comes with a, a, a bigger paycheck at the end and that that is the point point. <clears throat> one of the great things about growing food is that there's um, there's an incredible humility that has to come with it because it goes wrong so very very often despite everything that you think you're doing right and there are especially in the in the in the beginning years there are there there is no no one to blame except your own misguided notions of how it 's supposed to grow, and that you can 't actually make things happen. you can only um, arrange things in a way that it will happen well and even when you do everything when you arrange everything so that it should all go perfectly well then um whether <coughs> on the east coast whether it was the tail end of a hurricane that would come through and blow it all over or or here on the prairies whether it's a plow wind or a summer of 36 inches of rain or whatever it is that is more than enough to make you realize that it it really has very little to do with you. So that sounds
1: really heavy. That sounds doesn't really, sound very light. I was just
2: gonna say that sounds really heavy. <laughs> except that except that there is a a giving over that comes with that. Um that comes with that. The lightness yeah, the lightness. Where is the light?
0: Well, possibly in that giving over. Because Absolutely, for Then sure. it's like you're off the hook a bit.
2: For sure. There's also um, an image that I have very often is things just things just change instead of instead of your happiness coming from from one notion of wealth, which tends to be what you have in assets of cash or property or things, how much you can consume, let's say it that way, it's it's the exact opposite because if you go out, if you walk out into the field with a pail, an empty pail, and walk home from the field with it full of milk, and I'm literally talking about 18 litres, knowing that 12 hours from now when I go again, I'm going to get another 18 litres, when you realize that there's no way that your family can drink that 18 liters or use that 18 liters of milk before the next 18 liters, then you realize the difference between how how wealth is always the the common conception of wealth that how we all tend to think about wealth is that it's scarce and that we have to get to it and there's not enough of it, so we have to really get to that. Because it's, been, it's scarce. And when you, when you change in your mind that, that that this milk is actually wealth or that those vegetables are actually those gette squash and there's like 180 of them, and th- when, when you see that as wealth and you realize that there is no way that you can consume it all, which is the exact opposite of our world, where it is how can I get more so I can consume more, and this is there is no way I can consume that much then there is so I don't know maybe there is no lightness, but there is but there is bounty and there is gratitude and there is um, there is the 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 notion of wealth is is completely different
0: and for Everyone in podcast land who can't see Terry's face, I'd like to just notice that when you were speaking about your opera life, your Mm. brow was furrowed. Mm. Your eyes were down. When you speak about milk and vegetables, your face just completely changed. Mm. So uh, there's the lightness.
2: Mm.
0: So... Can you tell us a bit more about your life now, but maybe not in terms of the nitty-gritty, although you can, please, Mm. but um, how it feels now. I mean, now you've moved to Manitoba. You Mm. haven't told that part of the story, but here you are farming near your family and uh, your kids, and you've made a life here, and Mm. it's so very different from the life you described earlier what what does a day in your life look like and uh, how does that feel like you're living lightly and and maybe it doesn't always Mm. and and that'd be good to tell too
2: Mm -hmm. as far as the uh, living lightly We've, we've kind of been playing with that word. I think, for, uh, you know, between the heaviness of heart or or lightness of heart, and, and that kind of thing, um, kind of playing it that way as as opposed to you know living lightly on the earth, and and um, um, which we've for a number of years been accused of doing, which. Uh, um, I'll let others be the judge of how lightly we're living on the earth. It doesn't always feel like we're terribly light on the earth, but we do still have our trusty truck and things like that. Um, so we're by no means, you know, uh, making making some kind of waves that way. I think, I guess one of the things that I I want to get... Out for people to think about is that the decision to live lightly, I'm talking now about you know, living lightly on the land I've been asked in a couple of times different times, um, university classes in at U of Winnipeg and at CMU where they have a, a class called Voluntary Simplicity and uh, I've been uh, often asked to talk in in, in those classes or or I've had students come to me to do questionnaires and that kind of thing um, I'm always first off uh, I always make it quite clear to them that I don't believe in voluntary simplicity um, I, th- I think it fosters this notion that that, that that I living the way that we live that, that we have sort of voluntarily chosen to live a simple kind of of life, um, I think those classes should be called mandatory complexity. <laughs> because actually, I think if if you take seriously, if you take seriously, what I think our call is, then there's nothing voluntary about it. It's actually mandatory. Number one, and two, if you actually give it a shot you'll notice that there's absolutely nothing simple about it Mm. and that it is actually unbelievably complex to grow your own food, to raise livestock for yourself, to, um, to care for the things that you use and to use them well, tools, automobiles, houses, land, land, land. To do that well is not simple. So that's my rant on voluntary simplicity and it being mandatory and complex. Um, so it's not the simple life. It is not the simple life. The pleasures may be simple. Um, there are certain things that may be simple about it. But it's, it's never going to be what people think, that's for sure. Um, um, I forget what your question is right now. Because I went off on a tangent. Well, that's quite all right. <laughs> Tends to be what I do. I don't think
1: you're on a tangent at all.
0: <laughs> no, I would just—I think I would just like to hear more about uh, the deliberateness of your lifestyle mm. and where that comes from. Like where, mm. when you have a decision in front of you, for example, mm. this or that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. lifestyle-wise, a purchase, mm-hmm. um, the decision about employment or not, anything at all. Mm-hmm. How? What are the? What are the values and beliefs that guide you and your family? Mm-hmm.
2: For And again, I can't say that at some point in the past we made some kind of decision like, um, okay, from now on I'm going to do this. It didn't, it, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't happen that way. It's more as if I look back, I can say, I can see, Oh, that the the tendency was to start making those kinds of decisions or that sort of thing, but I can look back and I can say that and it is how I operate now for sure is i don't if something needs to be done, why would I not do it? Why would I not do it? That would be a, a very sort of central to how I operate on a day to day basis so uh Ted keeps teasing me because my car needs uh needs more than a new muffler but it it
1: and the reason I tease you is because my daughter 's vehicle also needs a new muffler, and I think it's my daughter pulling up on on the driveway, but it 's actually Terry bringing us eggs
2: so so the car makes a lot of noise right now um and I think most people would be well I need to take that to the garage and have someone fix it and and i don't think that. I think, when am I going to get a chance to fix the car? And I'm not doing it. I haven't done it so far because it happened in, in the winter. And I, at this point, I don't have a, a heated or a place to do it comfortably. So I'm waiting until warmer weather. And then I'll fix it. So if I want food, why would I not do that? If I want... A different, uh, if I want a a barn, why would I not build it? Um, So, okay, so if I break that down philosophically, I guess I'm against specialization. If I want my children to be educated, why would I not do that? I mean, our kids go to school. We started off homeschooling, and we all rather enjoyed it, but it's a lot, Mm -hmm. and... And what we actually came to realize is that, um, is that there's living when, when you're three especially especially in our case it was through our, the, younger, the younger years of our children for sure. We were both at home full time. So if the kids go off to school for seven hours a day, all those other hours they're, that they're at home, we're at home. And we're always doing things, and so if the kids want to be around us, which hopefully they did, that meant that they were doing things with us. And if you're doing things, you are educating. Mm -hmm. That is educating. Mm -hmm. That's where it's going to happen. I'm not saying that's exclusively where it's going to happen, but I'm saying that that fills an incredibly big gap that I think uh, that uh, an education system can't fill. So... Why would I not do that? Um, yeah, everything—plumbing, electrical, any anything. Why wouldn't I do that? So
0: it's. I just want to see if I understand you correctly. It's, it is for the value of just. Why wouldn't I? Or, and to educate your children. But is there? Are there even more layers to that?
2: So. thought this through enough to actually... Well, Maybe, well, maybe I right. can ask a question around sure. that because
1: part of, part of this um, our quest to live lightly comes out of wanting to foster a deeper relationship with God's creation. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's about connection. It's about being close to things mm-hmm. that we sometimes really live disconnected from and because we live disconnected, we make decisions that don't really foster more connection. They actually disconnect us even more. And so I'm wondering, is part of doing it yourself not about being individualistic about your life, but actually about being close up to the things that are that need to happen in your life? So you're close to your food. Mm-hmm. You're even close to your vehicle and mm-hmm. what it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, it, is a lot of that about having a deeper relationship with the things that you're connected to?
2: Absolutely. And, and, and number one, of course... So, another thing that I, that I've, I know I have been accused of is sort of, of, and it's, and it's, and it's dangerous for people who, who will self-identify as an environmentalist or as a, as an environmental activist or something like that, right? So, I, th- we have to be very careful about that because if, is, is living lightly, is that, is that the, is that the end? Is that the, is that what it's about we were we were certified organic for many years one of the reasons that we stopped certifying was because in that in that group at that time it seemed to a lot like to a lot of people a lot of certified organic farmers that it was more important that you were certified than that you were I'll say doing it for the right reasons Hmm. or that you were actually, or certification became everything as opposed to, so as long as you passed that level that you were certified, that's awesome. When some of those levels started coming lower, as demand was growing, this is through like 2007, 8, 9, as demand was growing and, the bigger farms that could start to meet that demand weren't interested in certifying because it was it was too much. They wouldn't be able to do it. The standards, the official standards, started lowering. Which I just wasn't okay with. Because I wasn't doing it to be certified, air quotes. I was doing it because it was I felt that it was a, a good marker. Of what we were, it was, actually, we felt that when we got certified, we got certified because we realized we were already doing more than what certification required. So why wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. It made sense. But then when the bark starts to lower below you and you're, you're maintaining a certain level, but then others are bigger farms that can do it for a lot cheaper and then sell it for a lot cheaper. And Mm -hmm. when they come in underneath, right, um, and, and, and operate at, at a lower standard, then... Then it doesn't make then it doesn't make sense to be certified anymore because they have lowered what that means, mm-hmm. um, and all of that was just was to say that if if you're doing it for if you're doing whatever you're doing for for one reason, it's not that's not the be all and end all. That's not the the reason for doing it. And so, living lightly, we we didn't ever choose to. Live lightly, and in fact, it had nothing to do with environmental concerns. it had nothing to do with climate change or global warming or anything like that it It really, in the end, it came down to what does the Lord require of you to seek justice the first line of the like the first to seek justice what does and justice. Has to be put in order for 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 me to understand what that is. I have to be looking at that as a global citizen. And if I'm, and we are, sorry, I'll speak for myself. And I am living compared to the majority of the world. It is not fair. It is not just. What I always find interesting is that in in the context that we live. Here, southern Manitoba. I think that we would be seen as um, living with less, living very with meager, like, I, and I mean, I know, I know that our income would be well under the normal, and all of those kinds of things. Taken in a global context, we're still in the top ten percent, right? So, so I need to have that as as my guide, as my goal. So that needs to be the... And why? Because that's what the Lord requires of me. So all of this is to get back to the point, why are you doing this? It has nothing to do with... I'm not trying to stop global warming. I'm really not. Uh, I, I, it, but it's a really wonderful byproduct that it is, I think, the right thing to do in that direction. Um, I think living... Yeah, I don't know. It's going to sound terribly conceited, and I totally don't mean it that way. But like, I think it's more rather than living lightly, it's living rightly. Hmm. I figure out what it means. Figure figure out what it means to a peasant on the other side of the globe. What does that mean? How does that look? I just don't think. I don't think it's enough to try and fit into your milieu that you're in. kind of that maybe that none of that makes sense
0: no it makes a lot of sense and i i think it's um you're calling us to an even higher calling i feel Mm. you know living lightly fine and good but why and if you eventually get to the the point where you can't ask why, you know, you get deeper and deeper into some of these things. It sounds to me like you're saying, if you can get at the the heart of how we are to live, hmm. then all kinds of things will be made right. Exactly, climate change included, hmm. uh, economic injustice included, mm-hmm. it'll kind of just fall into place. And so in
2: the in the end, what, like what what do you do? You worship creation. Right? Like, is is the destruction of creation around you? Is that so devastating to us? Who care? Is it devastating to us because it's creation that we worship? Mm. I, I would, I would, ra- I would rather say that I'm, I'm, I'm going to worship the creator, which means that in order to live right, I, I can't, I, I can't be a part of this destruction. Mm.
0: Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's putting things in the right order and saying, yeah, what, I think you're just trying to get at the heart of what what this topic is about, but even what your lifestyle Mm. has been about, which has been, I like that, living rightly. Mm. That's a neat way to sum it up.
1: Are we gonna to have to change the podcast name now, or are we gonna be okay?
0: I have to record a whole new thing, no, A new no, intro. No, no, no. That's all good. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm joking.
1: no, I really, I mean, I really appreciate just the um, the depth and uh, comprehensiveness of the way you've thought thought through these things over over mm-hmm. the years and uh, continue to think through them, Terry. Um, I think part of the part of the impact that we are experiencing on our planet because of the ways we have, um, not thought deeply about where we find ourselves and what we do and why we do it. Um, just, I just keep coming back to your observation about sort of the, the shallow confusion that you were experiencing when you were, when you were pursuing, um, your professional opera career. And, um, what you've kind of directed your life to and your family's life to is not about shallow confusion, but maybe more of a, a deep um, complexity, which might sound a bit like confusion, but it's a bit more like um, it's a rich, diverse place mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. rather than sort of aimless. Mm-hmm. And um, in in that sense, living lightly sounds a little bit like skipping through life mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. sort of... Um, like the images of growing things, where you have to really, you know, sink things deeply into the soil mm-hmm. and be rooted, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I just I just appreciate the just all the different components that we can be drawn into when mm-hmm. we have this conversation. When you want to think about the deeper stuff, not just the mm. not just the shallow things.
2: And, and his, don't forget that, that we have this incredible incredible historical um, reference as Mennonites living in southern Manitoba as, as being known as a simple people. And that I don't think there would have ever been a point in our history as Mennonites where we were pursuing that simpleness that more with less right that kind of Mary Joletti, you know all these like that was one manifestation in the seventies but 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 this simple living has followed us for a long time, and don 't ever think that anyone was ever pursuing that as the as the end right. we were never. Well, we have to keep this up because remember, we're we're simple living people. There was nothing like that. We're back to the landers. This is how we. Are. There was nothing like that. It was that that simple living that we had had been known for was a manifestation. Was what others saw us in us because of our convictions, but we. But I, but I, I do want to bring up that we have this historical precedence of that's who we were, and I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying that we all need to get horses and buggies. That's like I'm not, because that people will take me there sometimes. But it's a, it's a. But again, if we did that, if we all said, okay, now we're all going to get horses and buggies, then then we're doing that for that sake. So we need to figure out what it means to be us and how then that translates into how we live. And now to, just to get to what came up before about, because how I said something earlier, I can't remember what it was, but it can come across as very individualistic as opposed to, and and I will say that the, the one thing, thing the thing that I think we need most especially in this time is community again there is this historical (laughs) precedence of how we as Mennonites have lived in in a much richer sense I think also also some with that can, can come some sort of stifling kind of things and I realize that and I think we've all pushed really hard against that in the last two generations, but I also feel like we lost so much of how we can be, uh, how we sh- how we can be together, um, and I do think that community and relationships is is what needs to be um, cultivated and cultured and and worked at. Uh, because (laughs) and again not because community is right but because if we're all looking and if we're all looking at, at at God as as our center and as then then we are a community then we are together then we are the people his people and if we are His people, how are we going to figure that out? Because, because just saying, uh, just taking an individualistic tact, then it, it just doesn't it doesn't jive for me. Um, and so that's yeah, that's been a that's been an ongoing uh, desire and uh, and frustration. As, like since I, so <laughs> so much of this has come out in in the in a time in my life where i've been growing food because there's something about that that requires community often it's a it's the labor portion of it can, could could certainly require a bit of community but frankly the, you need the mouths because people you need somebody to eat your food and so that's yeah
0: That's uh, somehow, you knew that that was going to be my next question, which was what does the world need most, yeah. and you just went right there,
2: yeah, relationships with community mm. yeah, mm.
0: how would the world be different if we had more of that in a quality way? you know I think if there's anything that this virus is going to teach us is how connected. We are to mm-hmm. each other. It's our
1: involuntary simplicity <laughs> connectedness <laughs> class, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we've all been forced yeah. into this mm-hmm. deep acknowledgement that we are really connected. Mm-hmm. And then also forced into mm-hmm. a way of life that n- none of us would choose right now. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with somebody who's actually in, in uh, well, um, what's the word? Um, quarantine, quarantine right now, self-quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I uh, made this statement, well, I... I th- thought to myself, if, if, if only I was rich, I would, I would just go anywhere. And then I thought to myself, that wouldn't even matter right now. I, I couldn't go anywhere because the, that wouldn't, wouldn't help me. And, and so we're in this hmm. weird situation where we're all in the same boat, mm-hmm. and we're all connected, and, uh, and hopefully we're learning something.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, the other day my dad was telling me that um, his dad, my grandpa... Uh who had been late teens through his early twenties during the depression in Saskatchewan, you know tough time farming no crops no and all of that um, that he he often remarked to Dad when Dad was growing up that those those years through the thirties were some of the best years of his life, and dad would ask him why, and he said, you know before that. And now this gets back into sort of that historical, the way that some of those Mennonite communities were, because it's not perfect. I'm not trying to paint this historical picture that it was all perfect. I'm saying there's historical precedence for doing it. But anyway, that before the 30s, that he, that there were in the community, there were people who felt that they were better. There were people who had more money. There were people who had more education. There were people who were this or that or that. And he said, once that hit, he called it the Great Equalizer. And I've heard that so many times this last couple of weeks about now. But he, he just said, we were all the same. We were all the same. And he said, all of a sudden, we started Work Bees again. And people started working together. And I can remember him telling me a story when I was a boy that he, that in that time, him and a bunch of friends <clears throat> piled onto the back of a uh, back of a truck. Somebody in town had a truck, and the community had a truck. And they drove to, which now it's an hour and a half north but by in those you know those roads and that head up north see if they can find work cutting in the woods and that kind of thing so so you know i, I think to myself okay what would that have been like <clears throat> that would have, to do that you would have to be quite you know, um desperate like i really need some we need work me and my you know these guys we need somewhere and yet when he told me that the amount of fun that those guys had on the back of that truck, driving for a day, like and stopping to they stopped in Brostern, I think, for breakfast or something. Went in and said, "We can afford a nickel each. What can you give us for a nickel each for breakfast, kind of thing?" And I imagine the guy making breakfast was just happy to have some kind of customers, you know. What? But the but the joy that he would tell those stories with, it was just adventure. Hmm. Because they were together, because they have common goals, because they were going to make sure they all do this together. I don't know. I think there's lessons in that. Certainly, in these weeks that we're in right now,
1: it's a story that will is yet to be told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: That feels like a good place to to leave it for today.
1: Yeah, it's feeling like we're gonna to have to have another conversation with you sometime, Terry, just to get into more stuff. It's like uh, we have this list of questions, which I don't know if we even like looked at them. And we just uh,
0: we skipped over them lightly, lightly, and <laughs> uh, we got into some more important stuff.
2: That's good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much,
0: Terry, for sharing Thank today.
2: You guys. Thank you.